This morning, folks, we are going to continue in our series called The Word. And uh, just absolutely love the Word of God. Hope that you grow in your love and as well as your understanding of God's Word. Um, but I absolutely love studying God's Word and, and sharing His Word with others. Um, also, let me interrupt myself real quick. If you're comfortable and you want to, you can take your mask off at this time. If not, keep it on. That's totally up to you for that. But when we stand at the end, we're going to ask you to put it back on because we're going to be singing. So just work with us on that. We appreciate it. Anyway, just I, I love the Word of God. Hope you'll fall in love with it too. I love the way that the Word of God can really shape uh, our thinking. It, it shapes the way we, we view the world. It shapes the way we address different issues that come up in our life. You know, oftentimes people uh, have things that come up, and, and if you seek the Word of God first, and we'll talk about that later, it, it really does help you be able to address all the different things that, that go on. Um, <clears throat> the Word of God changes things about us. It, it really does. And it starts with our thought process. It really changes the way we think through things, the way we receive and share information. Uh, but it continues to harness how we, we behave, uh, what we say, and why we believe what we say we believe. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time together looking at one verse, but it is a verse that is jam-packed full of stuff for us to unpack and that verse is found in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. That's the one verse we're going to look at. Hebrews 4, verse 12. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Now, we're not exactly sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, many people believe it was the Apostle Paul, but um, there's no clear indication as to who wrote it. But the author of Hebrews said this, For the word of God is alive and active. Well, that's, that's encouraging. The Word of God is not dead and void. It's alive and it's active. It's engaged in your life, or it can be. The Word of God is alive. The question is, are you? But the Word of God is alive and the Word of God is active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. What conversations have come up over that right there? It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes. Listen, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So, you can fake it on the outside, but the Word of God judges the thoughts and it judges the attitude of the heart. You can't hide from it. It knows what's going on in your mind. So what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to break this verse down. We're going to kind of walk through it step by step. So let's start with the very simple thing. The Word of God is the Bible. In case you were wondering, the Word of God is the Bible. It's this precious book that you hold in your hands. It's this book that we buy in leather bound and hardback and soft covers. It's this book that we write in, that we make notes in. It's this book that we cherish and hold near and dear. It's this book that we carry with us on Sunday, but we put on the shelf Monday through Saturday for some of us. The Word of God is the Bible. Now, as I make that statement, I have to ask, do you really believe that the Bible, this book that we talked about here, do you really believe it is the Word of God? 
Now, a lot of people will give a, just, yeah, I believe that. But do you really believe that what's contained in these pages between these covers is the real word of God spoken to you, spoken to me, that's living, that's active, that causes us to change our very lives? Or is it just something we tuck under our arm and go around with? That's the question we all must really grapple with. Is the, is the Bible really the word of God? Do you believe that? Because our answer to this question will not only determine how we view the Bible, how we view life, but also its importance to our lives. It will also uh, ultimately have an eternal impact on us. If the Bible is truly God's word, we should cherish it. We should value it above all other writings. We should study it and we should obey it, we should apply it to our lives, and we should fully trust it, every part of it. If the Bible is the word of God, then to dismiss it, to ignore it, is to ignore God himself. If you ignore the word of God, you're ignoring God himself. The fact that God gave us the Bible is an evidence and illustration for his love for each and every one of us. He desires to be in a relationship with us. The Bible is just one way God has chosen to reveal himself to all of humanity, to all of his creation. This simply means that God communicated to mankind what he is like and how we can have a right relationship with him. That's what's contained in this book we call the Bible. It's God's word to man, from him. These are the things that uh, we could not have known if God had not divinely revealed them to us in this precious scripture. Although God's revelation of himself uh, in the Bible was given in a pro uh, over approximately 1,500 years, it has always contained everything that we need to know about God in order to have a right relationship with him. If the Bible is truly the word of God, then it is the final authority in all matters of faith and religious practice and morals and ethics and everything that moves and breathes and has its way. It's the final authority. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how can we know that the Bible is the word of God and not just a good book? Because as you go through your life, as you go through your week, you're going to encounter people who think that the Bible is just a, an outdated book of fairy tales. You're going to go into churches, not this one, but you could go into churches, even in this town, where people say the Bible's outdated, it's irrelevant, it has nothing to do with your life. You need to listen to what culture's saying. So when you dismiss the Bible, even churches, when they dismiss the Bible, they're dismissing God himself. So that's the question we have to ask. How can we know the Bible is the word of God and not just another good book? What's unique about the Bible that sets it apart from all other religious books? What's unique about it? Is there any evidence that the Bible is truly God's word? Well, I'm glad you asked that one because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because these types of questions must be seriously examined if we're going to determine the validity of the Bible. 
and to claim that it is the very word of God, that it is divinely inspired and totally sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. There can be no doubt that the Bible does claim to be the very word of God. Now, this is clear, and it's seen in Paul's commendation to Timothy in the passage that we kicked this entire series off with a couple of weeks ago. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to start in verse 15. I want to read down through verse 17. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I'd appreciate it. But here's what, here's what Paul wrote to Timothy, this young man who is preaching in Ephesus. He's leading a church there. He's encountering all kinds of people from all kinds of religious backgrounds, people who are, are defying the Word of God, who are, who are ignoring the Scriptures, and the Scriptures that they're ignoring are the Old Testament, the prophets, the Torah, the law, all those things. They're, they're ignoring that. And Paul writes this, this word of encouragement to Timothy, and he says, listen, Timothy, from infancy, from the time you were born, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, how did he know those Holy Scriptures? Because his mom and his grandmother found them valuable, and they shared them with him. They said, this is the most important thing that you can have in your life. And so he imparted these holy scriptures into his life. So from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, which is the message that you and I, that Timothy, as the preacher in Ephesus, that you and I are to share with the entire world, that message. We need to share with them so that we can make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says this. This is what we, we really looked at. We said, Paul said, all scriptures God breathed. It's the very breath of God. It's the word of God. Just let that soak into your mind. That what you're holding in your lap right now, or what you're thumbing through on your phone right now, those words are the very breath of God. Contained on pages. Free to live in your heart, your mind, and your soul. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness with a purpose. And that purpose is so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that every human being who encounters these scriptures are equipped to do the work of God. Now, let's talk about how we can know this Bible to be the very word of God. So there's two things I want to do this morning. I want to look at the internal evidences of Scripture that assure us that the Bible is really the word of God outside of this passage. And I also want to look at some external evidences that the Bible is truly the word of God. So the internal evidences, what is that? Those are things, and if you want to make notes, this is something I'd write down. The internal evidences are those things within the Bible that testify to its divine origin. That's what we mean by internal evidences. There are things within the Bible, things written within the Bible that testify of its divine origin. It's godly origin. Now, there are three internal evidences I want to look at this morning, okay, that show that the Bible truly is the word of God. And the first is unity. The Bible is just united in its speech, in, every, in all of its writings. Even though it's really 66 individual books written on, on three continents in three different languages over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors, 
come from all kinds of walks of life, the Bible remains one unified book from beginning to end without contradiction. This unity is unique from all other books, from all other books, and is divine uh, origin. I mean, it is the word of God. These are the, the words which God put into the hearts and minds of men to write down and record for us to have. They weren't in a trance. God allowed them to use their own writing styles, their own personalities, but he laid these words upon their heart. They're inspired through the Holy Spirit. Another of the internal evidences that indicates that the Bible is truly God's word is the prophecies. There are all kinds of prophecies contained within its pages. The Bible contains hundreds of detailed prophecies relating to the future uh, of individual nations, including Israel, certain cities, and mankind itself, about all of us. Other prophecies concern the coming of the one, the Messiah, the Savior of all, if you believe in him. Unlike the prophecies found in other religious books by men that they, they, they don't claim that, like Nostradamus, okay, biblical prophecies are extremely detailed. They're not just, just kind of out there, and they're not broad. They're very specific. There are over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Not only was it foretold where he would be born and his lineage, but also how he would die, that he would rise again. That's all laid out in the Old Testament. That's why you'll hear me say all the time, in order to understand the New Testament, you must first be a student of the Old Testament. They're not separate. They, they, they work together. There's the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, but to understand the New Covenant, you have to understand the Old Covenant. There's no other religious book with the extent or type of predictive prophecy that the Bible contains. Nothing comes close. And those prophecies about Jesus were everyone, everyone fulfilled. There's a third internal evidence of the divine origin, unity, prophecy, and the third is this, it's unique authority and power. There is authority and power of the Bible that is unique to any other writing. While this evidence is more subjective than the objective things of, of unity and, and of prophecies, this is a little more subjective, uh, it is no less a powerful testimony to the divine nature of this sacred work. This authority and power are best seen in the way countless lives have been transformed by the supernatural power of God's word. Addicts have been cured by it. Sexual deviants have been set free by it. Derelicts and deadbeats have been transformed by it. Hardened criminals have been reformed by it. Sinners have been rebuked by it. Hate has been turned to love by it. The Bible does possess a dynamic and a transforming power that is only possible because it is truly God's word. It's his very breath. The Bible changes people. It has that kind of power. It has that kind of authority. There are also external evidences. There are things that are outside the Bible that really prove and indicate that the Bible is truly the Word of God. I want to give you a couple of those, just two of them real quick. First is the historicity of the Bible, the historical makeup of the Bible, the nature of it. Because the Bible details historical events, 
okay? Its truthfulness and its accuracy are subject to verification like any other historical document. And it has been proven to be historically accurate through both archaeological evidences and other writings. I mean, there are other writings that back what the Bible is saying during that time, contemporary writings. In fact, all the archaeological and manuscripts, manuscript evidence supporting the Bible makes it the best documented book from the ancient world. And people will try and dismiss that. Lots of folks in academia will try and dismiss that the Bible is actually uh, a historical book, that it's just a, a book of myths and fairy tales. But there's more to back it than there is any other historical writing. And there's more manuscripts of this than any other of the other uh, ancient writings. The fact that the Bible accurately and truthfully records historically verifiable events is a great indication of its truthful, uh, truthfulness and its trustworthiness when it deals with religious subjects, when it deals with doctrines, when it deals with morality. Another external evidence that the Bible is truly God's word is the integrity of its human authors. Okay? That's important, the integrity of its human authors. As, as, as I talked about earlier, God used men from many walks of life to record his word. God spoke into their lives he directed them. He did not put them into a trance, okay? But he allowed them to use their own personalities, their own writing styles. And that's why the books of the Bible are, are different. You know, look, just look at the four Gospels. I, I mean, it, 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 they all record something just a little bit different, just to give us a better picture, a bigger picture of Jesus' life, of his sacrifice, of his resurrection, you know, the, the old adage is, if there's a car wreck and four people are watching, four people are going to have four different perspectives. But the wreck still happened. That's the same way with the Bible. Different people had different perspectives, and they wrote that, and it's been put together. I mean, it's the, the, but the, the integrity of the authors is impeccable. And studying the lives of these men, we find them to be honest, and we find them to be sincere. We don't find them to be perfect. We'll talk about that. The fact that they were willing to die for what they were writing, for what they believed, and oftentimes excruciating deaths for what they believed testifies to the dedication that they had to what they believed. They were honest. They were men of integrity, but they weren't perfect. The men who wrote the New Testament and many hundreds of other believers knew the truth of their message because they had seen and spent time with Jesus Christ. He had risen from the dead, and seeing the risen Christ had a tremendous impact on their life. They, they went uh, from hiding in fear to being willing to die for the message that's contained in this book called the Bible in God's word. Their lives and their deaths testify to the fact that the Bible truly is God's word. Another external evidence that the Bible is truly God's word is this, it's indestructibility. The indestructibility of the Bible. Because of its importance and its claims to be the very word of God, the Bible has suffered more vicious attacks and attempts to destroy it than any other book 
in history, and I want to tell you, this isn't prophecy, it's just reality, that's going to continue. As long as we live and breathe, it's going to continue. The word that God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden was attacked by Satan. Go back and reread Genesis 3. And look at how he just tries to, to use nuances to, to just shift the word of God. Oh, we have a slippery enemy. We really do. And he's trying to uh, disqualify the word of God. And, and I tell you, it breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart that there are churches, churches that put crosses on their walls, churches that have steeples, churches that um, use hymnals, churches that have Bibles sitting in their pews, but they deny that the Bible is truly the word of God. That really breaks my heart. And how people are being lulled into believing that. It's that old frog in the kettle, right? Temperature just barely heated up. We just start dismissing this, dismissing that. Satan is trying to destroy the word of God and he will continue to. That's why we as believers must be filled with the word of God. We must rely on the word of God. We must use the word of God in our day in, day out living. It's not something we just break out on Sunday. It's gotta be something that's a part of our lives Monday through Monday, every day. We have to be engaged in God's word. From early Roman uh, history, emperors like Diocletian, all the way up to communist dictators and to modern day atheists and agnostics, the Bible has withstood and outlasted all of its attackers and it's still today the most widely published book in the world but it's probably the least read bestseller ever. Throughout time, skeptics have regarded the Bible as mythological, but archeology span has confirmed it as historical. Opponents have attacked its teaching as primitive and outdated, but its moral and legal concepts and its teachings have had a positive influence on societies and cultures throughout the world. It continues to be attacked by pseudoscience and psychology and political movements, yet it remains just as true and just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. It is a book that has transformed countless lives and cultures throughout the last 2,000 years. No matter how its opponents try to attack or destroy or discredit it, the Bible remains strong. It remains true. Its veracity and impact on lives is unmistakable. The accuracy which has been preserved despite every attempt to corrupt, attack, and destroy it is clear testimony to the fact that the Bible is truly God's word. It is supernaturally protected by God the Father. And it should not surprise us that no matter how the Bible is attacked, it will always come out unchanged and unscathed. After all, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No matter how much we try and twist scripture, 
his words will not pass away. That's Mark 13 if you want to look it up. After looking at the evidence, I can personally say from my own life without a doubt that the Bible is truly the word of God at my very core. What about you? Okay, how about you? I mean, I believe that with all of what I am. But the question you need to ask is, do you believe that? And if you want more resources on that, because I honestly, I appreciate people who struggle with that question. I really do. If you want to study this more, come and see me after the service. I'm going to go get some cars for people. Catch me someplace or call me this week. I've got some resources I'd love to hand off to you. They can go into a lot greater depth than I can in here this morning. Because I want you to be able to answer that question. And if you say yes, I want you to have a firm foundation on which to say yes. And if you say no, I want you to know why you're saying no. Not just because so-and-so says it or because you're too lazy to do the investigation yourself. But know why you believe what you believe, whether you believe in the scriptures or you don't. Know why. Be able to articulate it. So if you want help with that, man, talk to me. I'd love to get past on some, some resources to you. All right, but I'm going to move on. We've said that the Word of God is the Bible. I believe that wholeheartedly. Hope and pray that you will, so much so that it really makes an impact in your life and changes. But, so let's move on. The Word of God is the Bible, but the Word of God is living and active. And like I said, I love that imagery that, that uh, the author of Hebrews conjures up for us. It's living and it's active. I believe it is uh, important to understand these two words in the original Greek language because they really help us to understand what this passage is communicating. The word living comes from the Greek root word zoe, okay? And most of you understand that word zoe. It's an eternal life kind of word. And the word active comes from the Greek root word energeo, okay? Energeo. And uh, it is uh, um, together, when you put those two words together, uh, they really help to spell out the thought, uh, especially regarding the Word of God. The word zoe is used to describe the physical vitality of organic beings. You see, according to the Greek language, life is not a thing, but life is about vitality. Okay? You can exist, but that's not living, right? Living is experiencing. Living is vitality. And ergeo is where we get our English word energy, and when they're used together, zoe is expressed in the fact that living creatures rise up and move and have their distinctive ergon. The description of the Bible as living means that it has a vital power. Listen, it has a vital power inherent to itself. It doesn't need something else to substantiate it. It is substantiated in and of itself. The written word of God accomplishes God's purposes. The preaching of the Holy Scriptures brings about God's desired effects. The Bible is unlike other books, whatever emotional or social effects they may produce, in that it brings about lasting supernatural change within a person. Romans 10, 17, Paul said, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
Jesus likened the word of God to, to seed in the parable in, in, in Matthew 13. Seed, like the Bible, is not dead, but living and active. And it has the ability to bring forth more life. And not just life, but life abundantly. When you plant a kernel of corn, it produces a, a stalk of corn. And I'm probably not getting this all right, but eventually there's an ear. And that one kernel has produced, I don't know, hundreds of other kernels. That's an abundant life. We see that each and every year as farmers go out and prepare the fields and plant the seed and we see them harvest. Some years better than others. But that's what the word of God does in our lives. It produces an abundant life. We see the living word of God in action in the pages of the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the word of God and his audience was cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, they said, Peter, and they asked the other apostles, they said, what do we need to do? It caused something within them to change. 3,000 people were saved that day. And later, the apostles continued to preach. The number in the church grew to 5,000 because many of those who had heard the word believed. That's Acts 4.4. Those who had heard the word believed because the word of God is living and active. That's why you can read the same passage two or three times and, and God reveals something new and different about it. It impacts us where we are at this stage in our lives. When you're in your 20s and you read the Word of God, you're going to read it differently than when you're in your 40s. And when you're in your 60s, it's going to look entirely different than it did in your 40s. And if you have the strength to make it to 80 or 90, it's going to be different then. You're just going to experience it because the Word of God is alive and it's active and, it's, and it changes us. It changes our perspective as we engage with it. The Bible is the living word of God because it is the message given to us from the living God. God is not dead. His word is not dead. God continues to speak to us in whatever phase of life we're in through his word. Ephesians 6, 17, Paul said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Allow it to penetrate your heart. Jesus spoke of the life-giving property of his word. He said, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. God's word is living and active. Believe that. Other, other indications that the word of God is living and active include the fact that it sustains man in Luke 4. Look those up this week. Luke 4, it sustains us. It brings about faith. That's Romans 10, 17. We just read that. It has freedom to accomplish God's will. Read 2 Timothy 2. You'll see it there. It can be maligned. Look at Titus 2. It gives spiritual birth. That's 1 Peter 1. And it abides within believers, and that's in 1 John. Spend your time reading God's Word. Spend real time studying it. We see the living Word of God in action every time a sinner repents and turns to Christ for eternal life. That's living and active. The believer's changed life bears testimony to the living, active power of the Bible. Think about your life before Christ and think about it after Christ. Now, there was a change in your life, no doubt, right? But 
The Apostle Paul reminds us we must continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that? By staying in and growing in God's word. And as you do, you'll see that it comes alive in you and it's active in you through challenging and directing the way you speak, think, act, and live your life. The living word is active in the lives of those who receive it. According to the psalmist, the person who meditates on and delights in the word will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Are your leaves withering? Are you producing fruit? If your leaves are withering and you're not producing fruit, then I want to encourage you to get into the word of God and allow the word of God to really get into you. The scriptures today, often downplayed in favor of man-made philosophies and personal experience or a new word from God. But the Bible, the Bible cannot be ignored. It's not dead, it's not obsolete. The word of God is still powerful and very much alive. Peter said it like this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. If you want to look over there, I'd encourage you to do that. He said, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, the prophetic message, the word of God, it's completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The word of God is living and active. The word of God also, it's, it, it's the Bible, but the word of God is living and active, and the word of God exposes and heals that's important. The word of God exposes and heals. It heals. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces far uh, beyond uh, the heart. It, the, the scriptures say it, it's the, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Some use this verse to draw distinctions between soul and spirit, but that's really not the author's intent. Okay, that's a side discussion that really doesn't, mean a whole lot because that's not the intent. He's using figurative language to show that God's word is sharp and it cuts deeply. Okay, God's word cuts deeply to the very core of our being. Unless your conscience is hardened beyond remedy, you cannot read God's word or hear it preached faithfully without getting uh, your conscience cut. God's purpose in cutting us is to bring healing. It's not to leave a wound. <clears throat> Sin is like a cancer growing inside us. And when we have a cancer growing inside us, if we leave it untreated, it can be fatal. So we cut it out. That's what we try to do. Now, I know medically there's all kinds of other stuff behind it, but if we can cut it out, sometimes it can bring about that healing. And the sharp sword of God's word, as J.B. Lightfoot put it, and I love this, he said, heals most completely where it wounds most deeply and gives life there only where first it has killed. When it has killed the sin, life happens. The Bible is a dangerous book. Listen, you can't encounter the Bible and not be changed. It's a dangerous book. It will cut you. When it makes your conscience go, ow, 
Don't harden your heart. That's a good thing. Let it go out. It should go out. Let God do surgery by cutting out the cancer of sin that the word of God has revealed to you. The words here in this are important. I want to touch on those real quick. The word thoughts, that's referring to negative thoughts. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about, related to emotions like anger, which man may wish to keep hidden from others, but which God knows. God knows. The word of God exposes, okay? Then there's intentions, and that refers here to morally questionable thoughts, and God's word exposes those. The heart refers to the totality of the inner person. That's what, that's what the author is talking about. We get our word critic from the word translated as judge in this passage. So the idea is that God's word is able uh, authoritatively to act as critic of our innermost feelings and thoughts, showing us where we are wrong. Now, I've had the experience after I've preached of different people, and I'm not going to look around, but different people coming to me, and they'll look around. They just want to make sure nobody's listening, and they'll ask me this nervously. They'll say, hey, did, did somebody tell you about what was going on in our house this week? Like, nope, nobody told me anything. I had no idea what was going on, but you know who did? God did. God had a clue, and his word penetrated into the secrecy of your home. It penetrated into the secrecy of your heart, and it reveals things that were not in line with his righteousness. Listen, I know what I'm preaching on every Sunday, and I'm amazed at how it penetrates in my life to address an issue that I have going on in my home, my life, in my family. I've told you all before, the sermons I preach are usually at me. They're for God, but they're usually at me, not at you. I don't know what's going on in all of your homes. Very few. But God does. And his word has that amazing power to expose and heal what's going on in your life and your home. So let it. So in verse 12, the author is showing how God's word is powerful to expose our sin, never for the purpose of embarrassment. Okay, and I want to spend a little time on this. But always to bring healing. It exposes to heal. Now, now listen, there are people in the church, unfortunately, who may try to use God's word to embarrass you or to guilt you. Listen, I want to be very clear. That's not the purpose of God's word. That can be the purpose of hypocritical people in the church. Okay? Because they try and take his word to embarrass you to hurt you, to guilt you. But that's not the intent of God's word. And when people use the word of God to try and embarrass you, they are wrong. It's not to embarrass. The word of God is to bring comfort. It's to bring healing, to meet a person where they are and encourage them in real growth in their life. Listen, we cannot rid our, our lives of sin if, we're, if we aren't even aware of it. So the word cuts down into our inner thoughts, into our feelings, revealing to us the things that are not pleasing to God so that we can repent of these things and receive God's restoration. So let me just give you a couple of things real quick uh, that I want to encourage you to incorporate into your life concerning the word of God. 
This word that is living and active, that can expose and heal, try these things. First, first thing is seek God's word first. Okay, seek God's word first. There is value in gaining the counsel of wise people. There really is. But before you do that, before you go and ask someone something, for, before you gain their input or their advice, seek God's word first. Why? Because if you don't, it becomes very easy to slide down the slippery slope of public opinion. Plus, if you don't start with God's word first, you won't know if the counsel you're receiving is godly counsel or not. Like Eve, sounded close. Like Adam, sounded close. Seek God's word first. Second, read, study, memorize, and meditate on God's word. Read, study, memorize, meditate on God's word. In short, what I'm saying is, as you get into God's word, you'll allow God's word to get into you. And that'll shape the way you think and behave and respond. And this is a critical step in your maturation as a Christ follower. Now, I don't believe any of us are perfectly there yet. I think we're all growing. We're all maturing. We've got to, have to keep it up. Third, apply and obey the word of God. The point of Bible study is not to fill your head with knowledge. Now, some people use it for that. I know people, and we talked about it last week, there are people who can memorize scripture, but they never allow it to impact their life. They don't apply it, they don't obey it. So unless you're obeying and applying, then memorizing is no good. It really isn't. It's not just to fill our head with knowledge. It's to change our heart. It's to change our life. Always study it with a view to obedience. My prayer for all of us is that we would allow the active and living word of God to expose and heal in order to live in us and bring these dead bones to life. And his word can do that in our lives. Live this passage out and allow God's word to cut where it needs and to heal where it needs so that you can honor God in the way you address his word. Would you stand with me, put your mask on, and let me close this with prayer? Father, I want to come to you, and first, I just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. It's a word that really can open our hearts up uh, to be exposed so that we can be healed, so that we can then start to live a life that is living and active, so that we live in such a way as to honor and glorify your holy name. For that, Father, we are grateful for what you have done for us. Help us to be men and women who pursue your word, who love your word, who live according to your word. Let it expose what needs to be exposed, heal what needs to be healed, and let us live and be active according to it. Let us defend your word in all situations. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.